Welcome to Dub and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Roostrock. I'm here with special guest and author, Michael Picard. Welcome. Uh, it's great to be with you. Now, you are an author, and all your books, are, if you're watching the video, are right behind you. So before we get into all your books, how did you get started as an author? Well, uh, it was kind of fortuitous happenstance. Our daughter was going to go off to overnight camp uh, at the age of 11. Mm-hmm. And she came to me and she said, Daddy, I want you to write me every day. And I didn't want to send her just dull stories about what I did at work or what I had for dinner. So uh, as a father, you worry about your kids. And this was her first camp experience. I was a little worried that she might not acclimate. Now, I was wrong. She did just fine. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to write something that might be maybe a little funny supportive, uh, make her feel like she was a success. So I asked myself, who would have more trouble than anyone else going to overnight camp? And the answer to me was obvious. An alien from another planet who came to overnight camp. Of course, that is the most obvious reason, right? So so I wrote uh, her letters uh, the the first uh, year she was uh, gone a week. So I wrote seven letters. Uh, in subsequent years, she went two weeks and I wrote more. At the end of five years, I had all this material uh, on a continuing story. And I didn't realize it, but she was sharing the letters with her cabin mates. So I didn't have one audience. I had a growing audience. Mm-hmm. And then people around me at work, uh, friends, family, they knew I was doing the story and they wanted copies. So I put all the letters together. I did a, a big edit. Uh, and it was my first uh, novel, which was called The Gerfnet Chronicles. The first time I had that in my hand, I got goosebumps. I see the title. I see my name on it and my words in a book. And I was hooked. So from then on, I just kept writing. A lot of authors start with I'm just going to write this because, and I don't expect anyone to read it. And then the writing bug hits. That's what happened to me. That is awesome. And you have at least nine books out right now. I, I have nine novels. I have a, a collection of essays and short stories. Uh, those have appeared in juried journals. So uh, those went through a, a vetting process, but the journals went out of print. And I wanted the stories to persist. Mm -hmm. So I put them together into a collection called Shorts. And so uh, that's at my author page. And then because my grandson asked me to, I wrote my first children's book, which is The Boy Who Sneezed Money. Wouldn't that be a super gift? (laughs) I I sent the chapters to my daughter. She would read them to him uh, before he went to bed. And after I finished it, I thought, I can't throw this away. So... I put it up on Amazon for 99 cents and he gets the profits. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that that is something you're doing for grandson. It's not just a book, but it's also teaching him revenue and royalties and stuff like this. So when he gets older, he has that experience. And in third grade, he can tell all of his classmates, I have a book on Amazon. That is something to be proud of at, in third grade. I, I, was, I don't I was glad think to there's do it. any third grade 
students out there anywhere that can actually say that <laughs> as up your grandson. So what is the first book other than shorts that you actually of your collection behind you published? What uh, Give me an order here. Oh, um, so after I wrote the Gurkhnik Chronicles, uh, someone asked about where the primary character Gurfnit came from and why it was the character, the, the citizen who came to earth. And so I wrote the backstory that's originated under twin sons. That's a, an origin story for the Gurfnit Chronicles. Okay. Um, I wrote uh, off the books, uh, which is cast in the future in China uh, about a female protagonist who used to work on an assembly line, putting screws into iPhones. And when uh, robots take over manufacturing of devices, mm -hmm. she becomes a software person. She's a novice, but she gets sucked into something beyond her skills and she grows into it. So I, I really like that book. Uh, I co-wrote uh, Cold Shoulder with uh, a friend uh, who also happens to be the, uh, well, he was the, the chair of uh, music at Lake Forest College. He had the summer off, so uh, we did that one together. Uh, and then because I wanted to try to tackle a trilogy, I created the Invasive Species series. So it's three books. I'm proud of that because each book has a complete story, mm -hmm. uh, but the overall story arc from beginning to end uh, really holds together. So. Uh, that awesome. was a big accomplishment. When you set out to do trilogies or anthologies, more than one, more than three books, or doing something like that, it's always hard to keep the thread going between all the books. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, changing genres. All the books that are up on my author page now are all science fiction or speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a trilogy of mystery novels. Uh, at the moment, uh, and they're all in different stages of completion. But uh, because I have all of them at hand, if I'm thinking about uh, book three or editing book two, and I need something for foreshadowing in book one, mm -hmm. I have the opportunity to change it before it goes live. That is awesome way to do this. Now you do want to give a little bit of space between them, but at the same time, it's awesome that you're foreseen enough that you know you don't want to send them off to the publisher until you have the story done. Yeah, and there will be a natural uh, time lag because uh, in order to keep high quality, uh, for me, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a shame if someone writes a book, uh, kind of does an edit on it, no one else has seen it, uh, they slap a cover on it and they put it on Amazon. Uh, I feel an obligation to my readers to have something that's quality, that hangs together, that doesn't have any kind of mistakes. And so I put my books through four different critique groups and beta readers before I will release it. That is an awesome way to do it. More authors, more, doesn't matter if you're an indie author or a published author to the publisher, that is what you should be doing. Even if the publisher you go with says, hey, I'm gonna put this through our critique or our editors or our in-house people, you wanna do your own. 
That's, absolutely. That's so important. Yeah, um, I, I have the philosophy that uh, feedback is a gift. And even if someone gives you really, really hurtful feedback, and it's about you and not the book, you can still find a kernel of something useful in their ranting that you can use to make the book better. Exactly. Or you can use their rant in a future book for something else. <laughs> As source material, certainly. <laughs> I love the source material. How many pe people out there just view negativity on anything under the sun? So it's all source material for any author that is out there. Uh, the, the, the last two novels, the most recent ones, uh, One Photo Too Many. Uh, so that takes place on Earth. No aliens, but there is an intelligent sea creature in that one. Uh, and someone who is a photographer and has been lied to his entire life. So it's about him and the creature, but it's also about him coming to terms with his situation. And then the most recent, which came out in February, is Forward and Back. Every science fiction author needs to do a time travel novel. Mm -hmm. So that one's mine. Uh, and uh, that one uh, is about a particle physicist who uh, becomes the victim of his own experiment and is thrust eight years into the future. His wife has declared him dead. Uh, the, the son that was being born on the day of that accident is now eight years old and has never met him. Uh, and he has a reputation as being a failure. And so he's got to figure out how to come back from that and, and what he's going to do to come back from it. That, that is awesome. I 100% I agree. Everyone needs that right science fiction needs a time travel novel. It doesn't matter if it's aliens going back in time, a person going back in time, or whatever else, you have to have that time period shift. My, my goal was, and I had a contest, if anyone bought the book on the day of release, and within 30 days, the first person who found a mistake that I made in my time travel rules, because mm -hmm. every time travel novel has its own rules. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I violated my rules, the first person to identify that mistake, uh, I would pay for their book. Uh, and 30 days passed, and I got a couple of emails uh, that said, here's a mistake, here's a mistake. And I said, well, th these are things that could be tweaked in the book to be better, but they're not, they're not violations of my time travel rules. So uh, I, I, I wanted the, the book to really hang together. A lot of them fall apart. Uh, you find something obvious where uh, the protagonist is doing something, but the author has set it up so mm -hmm. that that's not possible. And so you right. have this conflict. I, I, I wanted to make sure I didn't have any of that. It's very hard to do that. So kudos to you for being able to do it. I'm, I'm working on that with myself through time travel and it's not easy. Oh. <laughs> it's, it is really, really, really not easy at all. So I, uh, I had written the first chapter and when I got to near the end of the book, the protagonist revisits the scene that's in the first chapter and Having done that, I had to go back and rewrite the first chapter to accurately reflect what the last chapter showed mm -hmm. because they have to be in sync. It's a challenge, isn't it? Going through and editing <laughs> while you're writing. Uh, very, very much so, very much so. You write 
listeners out there probably won't understand this unless you're a writer or an author, but you write this wonderful chapter or paragraph or something, and then you put it away and you're working on something that's related to it and you don't see this chapter or paragraph for a month or six months or even a year. And then you go back to it and go, oh, I have to change this completely. I, having what I call emotional distance from the work is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, I use National Novel Writing Month uh, every November as a way to get a researched story out of my brain and into the computer. And at the end of November, during December, I do something else. I work on another book. I come up with concepts for covers. And on January 1st, the way I celebrate New Year's Day is the first time I read what I call my mountain of words. Uh, and that's trademark. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all the stuff that I kind of dumped out of my head the previous November. And then I get to see what parts are uh, surprising Violet. and great and what stuff is poobah, and uh, how many times I changed uh, plot, and so there's stuff there that needs to be thrown away because it's obsolete. It, it's an interesting experience. It really is, and doing nano is great. They just added nano to include uh, March as well. So there's now two, two months of nano, and this is the first year I was able to do both, but at the same time, it's what can I write as an author's point of view versus what is completely garbage and just needs to get out of my head? Yeah, well, congratulations for doing uh, March Nano. Uh, given, given the research that I need to do for next November, plus one novel in final edits, I hope, and one novel in first or second pass edits, uh, I have too much on my plate to contemplate another novel in the middle of that. Well, I, as an author, usually have between three to four works in progress at any point. So picking one that I'm going to dedicate one month to is usually a relief because it takes the other two off my plate. That's how I see it, but not all authors do that. Some do it as I just wanna get this done. Some of them do, oh, this is great marketing for it because nano, if you do nano, you have marketing with it if you hashtag correctly. Yes. So there's a little bit of everything within nano, why we do it. Well, it, it, it gives me uh, quality time for that month to dedicate myself to uh, getting the story into the computer because I can't edit it while it's in my head. It, it's got to right. be... It's got to be in front of me uh, so I can use a keyboard and a mouse to make all the necessary changes. I am one of these authors, and I'll show you, that will print a sample book just so I can go through and mark in it with all my edits. That's how I have to edit, because if I look at it on the screen, I can't catch the edits. And that book will sit there for three, four months before I even read it. I, I do one other thing besides uh, the critique groups uh, mm -hmm. so that there's lots of different eyes on it. I think forward and back probably had 15 to 20 people in terms of uh, critique groups and beta readers uh, who gave me feedback, uh, which I think is a broader perspective than if I hire one editor. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also have a computer read the story to me. 
And if I'm diligent about it, I close my eyes and just hear the words. And uh, hearing your work uh, gives you a new perspective on how it's going to sound when someone who's not you is reading it and they're not putting missing words in. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, uh, they're not thinking that something that sounds like it came from a textbook is someone's natural dialogue. It, 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 it makes a big difference. It really does. And you can, depending on your computer, and if you have the program to do it, you can have a natural sounding person voice reading your work versus a computer voice. Although hearing a computer voice in contrast to an actual person reading it gives you a different point of view of how it's wrote. I, I use a uh, either a UK male or Australian male voice. So it's just different enough mm -hmm. that I have to listen hard. There you go. What we want different, but we don't want so different that we have to actually strain to understand what the computer's saying. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Trust me, I get it. So I know you have the mystery books coming out. When yeah. do you expect to release those? Uh, so uh, that's the downside to using critique groups because they will only accommodate a certain number of pages or a certain number of words in each of their sessions. Mm -hmm. So I'm critiquing other people's work, they're critiquing mine, which is fair. Mm -hmm. uh, one group does 3,000 words a week, another one does about 7,500 words a month. So uh, if I was all done with the first mystery book, which I'm not quite done, but if I was done, uh, it could take another 12 months for the second group to see it. One group has already seen the entire, the entire book, but this, this other group was seeing the end of forward and back. So they're now playing catch up. Uh, so it, it could be a year. Well, a year is a reasonable amount of time though for publishing a new book. A year between the one that you just published forward and back versus a year or two in your next book. That is actually a reasonable expectation. I, if I rush it, I will be sorry. And, yes. and I don't want to be sorry. No, you don't. You want to actually is a good rule of thumb to release one to two books a year, depending on the author, how much you write and how much critiquing you have done. You don't want to do six books in a month. Unless you have six works in progress every couple of you know years. That's, it can be done, it's not recommended. There were two books that came out one year. Uh, Cold Shoulder was done over the summer with my uh, partner, Don. And uh, we wrote it, we edited it, we uh, passed it to some beta readers. Uh, and then he had to go back to teaching. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, well, if you're all right with this, let's put this one out. But one of the invasive species books came out several months later. So that was the one time where I was juggling two for the same year. Well, that's fine because you have another author within that one book. So yeah. that is the perfect thing. I've done a couple books within a year, but they're related in such a way that one's a workbook to the textbook. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. 
but where can our listeners and our viewers find you, your books, and anything else that they can have questions about? Well, so uh, I have a, a URL that will redirect them to the Amazon page. It is www.gerfnit, G-E-R-F is in Frank, N-I-T.com. So that'll get them to my author page. Uh, I love getting emails, whether people buy the books or not. So they can reach me at author at gerfnit.com. Uh, I have uh, Instagram and Twitter at Gerfnit Author. Uh, and I, I also have a blog spot, which is uh, gerfnit.blogspot.com. So everything is to the one word, which is great for marketing and SEO, which I do teach. So you're doing a killer job there. <laughs> made the word really really unique so not everyone can find it but that's okay that's a good thing because it's sci-fi right yeah and it's my driver it's my uh, illinois license plate oh wonderful <laughs> so you made it really easy for people to find you i hope <laughs> <laughs> we hope but it's so fun to have you on the show today well I, it's been terrific talking to someone who understands writing. Uh, this doesn't happen very often in, in my podcast. No, it does not happen unless you have an author having a podcast. Because otherwise, we go on other people's shows and they have no idea about the world of being an author. You made it very easy. Wonderful. I love doing that. It's little tidbits along the way to teach the up-and-coming authors, but also it gives the readers a way to connect with you. Very good. But thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Very nice to meet you. And for all of our readers and our listeners, happy reading.